Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me that every, to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Recompense, excuse me, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would teach us how to live the way that St. Paul describes here. Pray that you would instruct us in righteousness and holiness, which, without which we know no man will see the Lord. I pray that we would display these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we talked about what it means to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. There are various elements of that. We said it's, it includes knowing what God's Word says, knowing doctrine. It includes living an obedient life to what the Lord has commanded in His Word. It includes knowing what God is doing, knowing history from His perspective, and also it includes knowing and, and having faithful symbols and rituals in our home and in our churches that display the, the kingship and the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, on a little bit more practical note from that, I mean, those are all things that we, we should do, and it is the way that we are called to love the Lord. But when we put those things into practice, it can be, well, it can be a lot more difficult. There's things that are required of us that, for many of us, will seem impossible at times. But they're not because we've been given the grace of God. And nothing is impossible with Him. We hear a lot 
various articles and people on television selling us some version of what they consider the good life. Usually it involves your life will be good if you have X product, whatever it is. Yesterday it was some type of electric razor that would work, yet you can, we saw you could put it on your finger and it wouldn't hurt your finger, but yet it will take care and you can shave with it and never cut yourself at all. Well, other areas we see that it involves eating certain things and not eating certain things, whatever the combination is. For some, the good life is living in a certain way that we steer clear of certain types of entertainment or even to some, we steer clear of any type of technology that is post-1900. That is propagated. But the thing is, we are all, as saints in Christ, we are gifted in different areas. And there are things that the Lord has called you to that He has not called me to, and vice versa. There are things that my family and I practice that your family or that you choose not to practice. And the thing is, many of those things are not absolutely necessary that everyone do or not do in order to name the name of Christ. So I want to just briefly... Those are famous last words for any minister. But we'll try briefly to look at some of the elements of what Paul calls the good life. And of course, you would understand with it being the Apostle Paul who's writing this, it's going to look a lot different than what our modern understanding is of a good life. Now, Romans 1-11, through some of the most glorious doctrine ever penned anywhere. If there is one book that is the most systematic of all of Paul's letters, it is the book of Romans. However, even the book of Romans, we cannot say, and Paul did not write, he said, this is what I believe on election, chapter 1. This, and he doesn't go like that. But again, it's close. But then after the first 11 chapters, and he finishes up chapter 11 by saying, Who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed again unto him, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And many of us would say, with such a crescendo, why would you continue writing? But he doesn't stop. He goes on to talk about the practical side of Christian living because you can't have the commands, you can't have the doctrine and everything else without having day-to-day, right-now application of the life that we are called to live. And that we find in chapters 12 through 16. We can't look at all of this, but... I want us just to see a few things from chapter 12 and a little bit from chapter 13 just by way of an overview. First of all, the good life begins 
with a mind and heart submitted to Christ. It begins with a mind and heart submitted to Christ. In verses 1 through 3, we're exhorted to live a life that is submitted to God. It is dedicated to Him. And that would include a lot of the things, probably the, I would say the very first element we looked at this morning about knowing the truth and professing it. We must be submitted to God before we can know the truth and profess it. But it would also include our obedience. You know, obeying the commands of Christ. He said, Present your bodies. Give yourself up as a sacrifice. That is the idea there. Paul says that this is your reasonable service or also interpreted is your worship. Your worship is to give your life as a sacrifice to Christ. Not because if you do that, then you have earned anything in His sight, but because He's already given Himself to you, so this is the least you can do. And even when you do that, you still should call yourself an unprofitable servant, Jesus said. And then he said, but don't stop at just having a saying with your, with your mouth, I'm going to do this. He said, but then we must actually put a life dedicated to Christ into action by not acting like the world outside. But by, as he says, being transformed. Our minds need to be renewed and they are renewed through meditation, and immersion in the Word of God. And let me say this again. I mentioned it earlier today, but I want to, I want to make it clear. When you read Scripture, whether you are reading a few verses, whether you are reading a whole lot of chapters, and anything in between, when you're reading Keep a constant prayer on your lips to, that you must rely on the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word. Because the Word read, the Word heard, the Word spoken has no power apart from the Holy Spirit. It is easy for us at times to say, yes, it's only the Holy Spirit that quickens a man's heart. It is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. Because we want to give glory to God, however, He has seen fit to work primarily through the proclamation of the Word accompanied by the work of the Holy Spirit. That is, in the Scriptures, the way we see people who come to faith. I'm not denying that the work of the Spirit is necessary. And I will certainly say that the work of the Spirit must come first. But when you pray, or excuse me, when you're reading, you must rely on the Spirit to illuminate His Word. So He says we're to present our bodies, all of our being as a sacrifice to Him. But not only that, we can be prone to pride at times when we do that. You say, I've dedicated all of myself. How about you? You're not doing these the things, all the things that I'm doing. After all, I go every time the doors open, plus sometimes I open the doors myself. Or 
I give to the church, I give to this organization and to that organization. How about you? We can do that. Now, maybe not on purpose. Maybe we're not trying to boost ourselves up. But we automatically apply our own standards to other people. And if they don't meet those, then they're obviously not nearly as godly as we are. So Paul speaks against that in verse 3 when he says, For I say to the grace given unto me that every man is among you, think not of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. We present our bodies a sacrifice. We also don't exalt ourselves in pride over those who are different than we are. When we are bound in pride, we cannot have freedom to love one another as the Lord has called us to love. So he goes on though. It's not only about me living a godly life alone. Beginning in verse 4, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And thankfully, he's not referring here to what we would call necessarily the prophetic or the miraculous gifts that would probably deserve a lot of time dedicated to it to explain, you know, 57 reasons why they've all passed away. And if you believe it, you're not going to go into any of that. There's a lot of really good discussion to be had on that subject, but I'm not going to get into it here. He's talking about the everyday gifts that belong in the body. And Paul says we're many members. There's a lot of, there's a lot of different members in the body, but it's all one body, and it should be all working towards the same thing. And if it's not, that's a problem. So because we have, he said, different gifts, whatever your gifts are, you should follow, you should obey the Lord in using your gifts to the glory of God. And all of this, again, I want us to see, is in the context of the local congregation. It is important, yes, to use your gifts in your home. For your husband, for your wife, for your children, for your parents, for your brothers and sisters, that is important. However, you can't fully engage in ministering the gifts that the Lord has given you outside of a congregation. It is absolutely necessary that your faith not be held back by belief that it's me and Jesus. That's where it starts. But the idea is it should culminate in you, the Lord, and all of His saints together in glorious fellowship, in Trinitarian love, giving one to another. But sometimes exercising those gifts is hard. It can be hard. So Paul tells us ways that people with different gifts can be prone to temptation and how to withstand that temptation. When he talks, uh, beginning in verse 6, 
said, if you have prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or if you have the gift of teaching, you should wait on teaching. Or if you exhort, he said, do it with simplicity. In other words, this can be difficult for those who exhort, but if you exhort, don't try to go into great oration. And, you know, be extremely profound and elaborate. Exhortation has a purpose. And it, and it can differ from teaching in some ways. In some ways it's the same. But particularly, if you're exhorting someone, if, if you are calling someone to remain faithful or calling someone to remove themselves from a particular sin that they've been involved in, don't make it too broad. Be to the point. He said, if you rule, do so with diligence. If you show mercy, do so with cheerfulness. So all these gifts are necessary in the body. And if you are trying to keep up with what I'm talking about with a good life, let me summarize so far. According to Paul, the good life begins in our hearts by presenting ourselves a living sacrifice to God. It involves, secondly, not walking in pride towards those who don't see things exactly the same way as we do. But then it involves also, thirdly, using your gifts for the edification of the saints in the local church. Well then, fourthly, it it means walking in love for each other. He said, let love be without dissimulation. In other words, don't let your love be divided. Love should be something that is uniting. Now, this word love really gets butchered pretty badly today. A lot of things we call love that God calls hate and vice versa. I mentioned this earlier. If you, if you see someone doing something that is bringing, you know, that's putting himself in great danger, it's not love to keep your mouth shut. According to Scripture, it's not. If you observe someone who is in sin, then lovingly speak the truth. At the same time, there are things that God's Word doesn't call sin that we that we can establish as sin in our own minds, and that should be something that we don't speak about. So he said we should be, in verse 10, kindly affection to one another, and he goes on to, says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. All these small commands that if you try to observe them alone, apart from the grace of God, all it turns into is just a, a long list of rules even harder than the list that are given in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and Exodus. You know, eventually, we could all learn how to slice open a bull like the priest had to. That, when done enough, that's clear. You know what's hard, though? Not getting lazy in your work. 
that can get difficult. Keeping hope when there's no reason apparently for it. Loving people that are not pleasant to love. That is a lot harder than knowing the exact way to cut open the goat and and to you and, and to let its blood drain a certain way and and, and then you know take a, take this portion and do it this way and then this other portion that we could learn loving someone that's not exactly lovable that's tough but it's part of a life that is honoring to God. And in that love, we are called, he said, to be sympathetic. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Condescend to men of low estate. Paul knew that in the church there were people who were in the aristocracy that would come in. He also knew there would be people who were dirt poor slaves. You know, slaves of the slaves. But in the church, they're to be treated with the dignity of a saint. Because they are saints. And he ends by saying, don't give place to wrath. When you are angered, and this is referring to those who are enemies, when they do things to you, don't give place to that. Don't allow yourself to be consumed with wrath. So, Submit yourself to God. Don't walk in pride. Walk in the gifts that the Lord has given you. Love one another. And we can see verses 9 through 21. Teach what love is. Okay? And then He will continue, we'll not go into detail with any of this, but even in chapter 13, saying that we should submit to those whom the Lord has placed over us as our authorities, our civil authorities. And I'll I'll be honest with you that that takes some wisdom in knowing how to do that in our day and time. It always has. There's always been this question of, you know, at what point do we stand it's not always clear, but it wasn't clear when Paul wrote it to the Romans either. I mean, at one time, not long after he wrote this letter, there were two or three men at the same time all claiming to be the rightful Caesar of Rome. So, uh, in, that, in that case, which one do you submit to? Do you submit to the first one? Do you submit to the one that, that claims that he's actually the new one now because he says that the first one advocated, but the first one's arguing, and then you have a third one who's a general who said, actually, I am. You know, What do you do in those situations? Well, you pray for wisdom, and you study the Word, and you do as best you can. But even the last part of 13, Paul returns to the fact that we must walk in love towards one another. And then chapters 14 and 15 of Romans, he gives examples of what that love is going to look like when we come to difficult situations. Situations where we disagree with other people about how they serve and how we serve and what they do and how we don't do that and how... 
we should be careful to hold the command that the Lord has given. We should also be careful to not hold others to commands that the Lord has not given. Both are very important. So according to Paul, living a good life is one where you are engaging not only yourself, but your family and your church in the love of Christ. And you're putting that on display in a way that brings the attention not to yourselves, but to Him. By acting in a way that's supernatural, acting in a way that you wouldn't normally, you, you couldn't normally act unless the Spirit was working in you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for the truth that we glean from it. And I pray that we would always hear with an open heart and a hungry, thirsty soul. In Jesus' name, amen.